Hello, and welcome to Bobby and Yen's presented by Zwift. One thing I'm thankful for is still being able to train with friends on Zwift any time of the day. Being motivated by the massive community means there's always someone to ride with and new locations to explore. Like the new Japanese-inspired Makuri Islands and my personal favorite route, the Mega Pretzel on Watopia. Riding with friends makes the training easier and they always know how to push me. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bobby and Yen's presented by Zwift. My name is Bobby Julik and today, like always, my main man, Jens Vogt. Jens, how's it going, buddy? It is pretty good and exciting news that last Saturday we got the keys for a small apartment. My son, soon going to be 26, is moving out. So um, the last two days I was busy painting, repairing and changing this and that and putting shelves on the wall. One room per day and looks good. We're going to be finished very soon. He gets a new oven and a fridge coming next Monday and he is good to go. And the poor little fellow, he tells us, oh, you're going to miss me so much. And my wife and me go, uh, no, we're going to give high five to each other every night. One, one down, five to go. So it's all going good on my side of the ocean. Yeah, I was gonna say you're gonna own you're gonna own half of Berlin once your kids move out because they're each gonna get their own little apartment. So you'll be like a, you know, a, a major property owner. You know, another beautiful weekend here in South Carolina. It was Halloween. What did you dress up for as Halloween, Yenzi? Uh, I was just busy driving the kids around um, on Halloween, but the kids get dressed up as a. Believe it or not, a crazy, mad uh, serial killer, my youngest daughter. There you go. Mm -hmm. Blood everywhere and purple hair and whatever. So, yeah, she got all dressed up and we were pretty successful. And we got voted for, we had the nice ambience at our house. Seven pumpkins. The neighbor's boy came to our place. He had his pumpkin as well. So we had the most pumpkins and the best looking pumpkins. Dang, yeah. Uh, my my daughters are too cool for Halloween now. One is in college, obviously. She was probably doing her own thing. And little Chloe, 15 years old, um, no dice. But um, I kind of went all in. I don't normally go all in for, for Halloween costumes. But uh, I mean, I'm sure you've watched the Squid Games, right? You've... So yeah, I was one of the, the guards. I was really looking for the, the jumpsuit. Like the the like the number one or number four fifty six jumpsuit that would have been absolutely baller, but couldn't find that. So, yeah, red hoodie, the mask, um, the jumpsuit. You know, kind of kind of had fun. Um, can't breathe in that darn mask though, so I didn't have it on very long. But anyway, I hope everyone had a safe and happy Halloween. And today we have just a a, a personal friend, one of the the best guys in the sport. Um, we were teammates with him back in the day at Credit Agricole. Um, just a wonderful dude. He's, he was so successful 
through every stage from juniors to under 23s and became the world road race champion in 2010, Mr. Tor Hushoft. So sit back, relax, and listen to a great conversation between friends. Okay, we have another person, cycling royalty, world champion, friend of ours, ex-teammate of ours, Mr. Tor Hushoff, joining us on the show today. Tor, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Tor, man, from the first time that I ever met you, um, Tor, the name Tor is like... It, it fits you to a T, <laughs> you know, like Norwegian Viking, my name is Tor, but like, I mean, you could be like five foot two and 150 pounds and like Tor really wouldn't, you know, make sense. But is there like, you know, give us a little backstory of your name. Like, do you, did your parents name you Tor for a reason or is it just a, a normal name in, in, in Norway? But like every time my friends heard your name, they were just suddenly attracted to you, like Americans, like like a superhero. And you were a superhero. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I don't, you, you know, a, a name you get, uh, I, I don't know if my uh, my parents gave me the name before I got born, but, uh, you know, I was like this tiny little three and a half kilos, uh, as m m most of the people when you get born. But... Uh, yeah, it's it's a common. No, it's not that common in Norway, but there is a uh, few people name uh, name uh, like we say. It's not Tor, we say Tor uh, in Norway. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it just by yeah they like the name. It's it's actually my uh, so my dad's grandfather. He, his name was uh, was Tor, but he was he was a beast. I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm just this tiny little uh, guy from Norway, but he was like a proper beat beast. <laughs> so it sticks in a family then that's good that's good to know how about your son he is one you just said he's nine years old is he coming after you or is he more coming after your wife after susanne uh i mean uh look, looking you know i have two kids uh nicholas is nine and uh, isabel she's uh, 12 and uh they're both into sports but i would say uh you know they uh yeah, I would not say they are lazy, because, but, you know, they just like to play around and uh, they, they like to do activities, but they, they don't, I don't see them uh, with this, uh, uh, yeah, top level um, mentality, uh, which is fine because I don't think uh, my kids need to do that. But if they like, I would, uh, I would always be there and support them. So Niklas, he's just like to have fun. He likes to ride a bike, but only a BMX bike. And I'm often taking to a BMX track uh, here in the area where we live in south of France. He loves that. Uh, I actually bought him a road bike, but uh, he don't like it. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's where we are. Not... Not many young kids, I don't think, want to just jump on a road bike. I mean, I think we all started with a with a dirt bike. But talking about that um, tour, like your your initial introduction into cycling. I mean, growing up, 
my, one of my heroes was Doug Otto, Doug Otto Lauritsen. He was on the 7-Eleven team. He won a stage in 1987. I had pictures of him up on my wall. He had such an amazing story, being a paratrooper, jumping out, breaking his legs, and then using the bike for, for um, rehabilitation purposes. But what was it like when you... Like back in, I'm, I must assume the mid '90s, early '90s, mid '90s, when you got into cycling, how was that introduction for you, being Norwegian? Where you know, I think cycling has definitely grown since you've been there, and probably in part to you. But uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your story, your introduction, uh, and what what age that was. Yeah, so. Uh... I have a three-year-older brother. Um, his name is uh, Ronnie. He started to ride a bike, and then, uh, and then you know, the whole family followed him with a with this uh, caravan uh, every every weekend. And then when I got nine, I could borrow my the I borrowed a road bike from another family who normally travel with uh, with ours and my brother. And uh, when I was 10, uh, my parents bought me the first bike. They paid uh, 20 euro for that bike. And, and I've won every single bike ra- uh, race on that bike. So it's not always about uh, <laughs> the equipment. Uh, but it's funny. Um, Dagoto is actually from my, uh, it's a city, it's a village, 20,000 inhabitants. And he's from that village. village. So we are from the same place. So when he won his stage in Tour de France in 87, I was nine years old. So obviously he was my big, big hero. And I remember I saw, I remember I saw him. He, he came back to, to Norway, you know, for when he had some, uh, some breaks in between the races. When I saw this guy, yeah, he was, he was the god for me. So I think he helped a lot because he, he kind of gave me hope to see that you can actually come from this small uh, city, this small place in Norway, and win a stage in Tour de France and become and bec- uh, be a good bike rider. So that helped me a lot, actually, with uh, with uh, Dagotto. But uh, that's the motivation. But uh, without my parents, my brother, my family, of course, I had no chance without them. So it's thanks thanks to them that I could. Uh, I could uh, ride my bike for that many years before I uh, helped myself. So then, uh, Tor, you once you told me, showed me pictures. At the age of 18, you owned a nightclub and a Porsche. <laughs> so what happened? <laughs> Why didn't you just uh, become a nightclub owner and stay there? Why did you turn back to cycling? Or did you have a break from cycling when you uh, used to do your business? Or how did that work out with your cycling? Uh, it's actually funny you say that, but... I, I always felt my, my, my parents, they had a normal job. You know, my dad was a teacher. My, my, um, my mom worked with, uh, you know, older people in, in, uh, yeah, in these, these, uh, homes, you know, so, so, and they had three kids, you know, they had to help, uh, help us. So we didn't have that much money. So I, I felt sorry every time they had to pay for my bikes or equipments or, you know, daily life or everything. So I actually start to sell. Uh, baked potatoes to drunk people, you know, in in uh, in uh, in the city in Grimstad, you know, Friday nights, Saturday nights, and that was that was uh, yeah, that was a good business. We the, the return on the investment there was incredible. So we, we for every baked potato they were, we paid, uh, so it's two and a half crowns, and we sold it for thirty. So you know, even even if you don't know the. Uh, uh, 
yeah, the the Norwegian crowns and and it was amazing business. So I, I tried to, to, you know, to to do my own business on the side of the of the cycling. So that's why that's why I tried to to do different investments. But the nightclub that was not a good one because it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. Uh, it's not the best uh, thing to do together with sport, I would say. But the Porsche was actually a good investment. I bought it in Italy and I had it for a couple of years, and I sold it back in Norway. So that was good and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, but you you just grew up, um, like you said, you at ten years old started winning races. You won, you were under twenty three world champion. Um, you won what eleven stages in the tour, multiple stages in the Giro and and and, and Vuelta, um, World Championship in two thousand and ten, of course. But I'll never forget our first training camp when you came to Credit Agricole in two thousand and twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, in two thousand. I wish it was two thousand and twenty. In two thousand, <laughs> and I had spent the whole entire winter training. I mean, I was basically at my Tour de France race weight. And we were going out in Poe and doing five, six hours, regardless of how cold it was or whatever. And I remember the third day of a three-day block, we kind of rolled out and you were in front and you started kind of coming back. And the trainer, our trainer at the time, was like talking to you. And then you kind of dropped back to me and said, you know what, I'm turning around. And most people, including our coach, was like, oh, he is soft. He's not going to make it. But right then <laughs> and there, I knew for a Neil pro to basically look at in, in his coach's eyes in front of all of his teammates and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going home. Right then and there, I knew you were going to be something special because, you know, we had a lot of French Neil pro on our team and you probably saw even more of them. They, they would run themselves into the ground. They would train too hard. They would get knee problems, you know. But, like, man, you standing up and deciding at that young of an age that, you know what, I'm done, regardless what <laughs> the consequences are. Um, what what gave you that that confidence at such a young age to to make a decision like that in front of all? I mean, Yenzi was there. Chris Boardman was there. Our coach was there. I was there. Um, what what did you know that that our coach didn't know at that time? Uh, I don't know. It's uh, I actually can remember the, the that when you when you said I, um, but I mean I mean when I met you guys, you said all the big names. I, I had big uh, stars in my eyes because uh, I could uh, finally uh, train with you guys. I looked up to you, I see you on TV and Tour de France and stuff. So that was that was crazy. But I think. Uh, one thing I've always been good at uh, in my uh, career, I think, is listen to the body. When I feel uh, I'm tired, something is wrong, I, I, I always took these signs. And then I take a step back. And then I, I don't think in, in my career I pushed that uh, too much. So I, this, that's why I didn't have a lot of uh, long breaks, of course, of injury and, and illnesses. So I think, and I, I just... I just, you, I was just used to that from uh, since I was uh, start to race when I was ten years old, and I think I just took that with me all the time. Uh, and it was for me it was not that uh, it was something with confidence. I would just for me it would just that makes sense that I feel that the body is tired. So of course I have to, I have to uh, take it easy. 
It sounds so logic and, and, and clear, <laughs> right? It's so but easy. Like, like, uh, like, Bobby, <laughs> like Bobby said, we have seen many, many, especially French uh, young neopros, they didn't dare to say no. They said, yeah, yeah, I can do another hour and another hour. And then after that first training camp, we never saw them again for three months. That's yeah. about how long it took them to yeah. get out of that hole. They were digging themselves. So yeah, smart decision back then. That's for sure. Yeah, thanks. But I will I will add, add uh, one more thing. I don't I don't think you guys know even know that because since I was I had a, a local trainer in uh, from Norway when I, since I was ten years old, and and then I wrote a, a training uh, diary, you know, for every, every day, and then I gave myself a note from one to five of the feeling of the day, you know, so let's say I was tired one day or I, I, I gave myself a two, I was I feeling sick. It was a one. I felt good. Of course, you know, it, it went up. So we, with this number, I could always go back to see and then to adjust the training. But, but, but even better uh, tool I used, that was, I gave myself a, a note from one to five of the uh, how I uh, did my training. So let's say I wanted to do, uh, you know, like uh, five times eight minutes uh, on the threshold. I stopped after four. And then when I came home, I could not give myself a five. So I gave myself a three. And then the coach asked, why, why do you have a three and not a five? So I, I, I didn't like to put myself into that position. So then I said, then I always found motivation to do the last effort. But on the same time, if I felt like a two on, on the feeling of the day, I would never, I would never push through, you know, but you cannot feel like a four or a five on the training and not do all the intervals and, and what's this on the program. So that's how I worked, uh, from I was 10 to I stopped when I was 36. Uh, everything noted on my, now on my computer, but before I had a, a, a small book. I love so, it. Wow. Yeah. But not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't even have a computer on my bike anymore. I just go after feeling. Yeah. I'm, I look at the sun and uh, probably I'll be out here for two hours, slowly turn around. Now I don't even measure any watts and heart rates anymore. I've done that all my life and no more in retirement. Yeah, yeah I'm the I same. don't think Jens was much of a, a journal keeper, was he? You know, I don't even think he downloaded uh, no, his probably SRM not. for about 10 years. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but hey, you know what? There is a certain logic to that. And to the young kids out there, I mean, you know, we were that generation that started using power meters and all this data streams and stuff like that. But nowadays these kids are just born with it and it, and it's crazy. And talking that talking is a segue into my next question with the success of, of more and more kids from Norway. And a lot of that is coming from our old teammate, Kurt Asla Arvison's uh, squad there. Tell us a little bit about, because, I mean, you've been there, you've done that, you've lived it, you could write a book, but what is your opinion on what everyone is doing right, especially Kurt's team? And I think Lars Bach is now um, a DS for the women's team of that same organization. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit from your point of view of what, what you guys are doing right up there in Norway. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking a, a, a lot about that, but I think, uh, I think we just do good training and we do 
quite right training. And I think, you know, I, when, when I talk about myself, because that's the experience I have, when, when I'm not a training freak, you know, my, my best day on the, on the, in the week was the rest day. But when I first spend the hours on the bike and in, in the beep sort, I want to spend them 100% correct. And, and I think we teach that way. You know, a, lo- a lot of these guys on Team Unix, you know, the team you're talking about, which uh, Kurt uh, Aslavsen is, is running, they're all skiers. So they're really into the struct- like structure, a lot of intervals. And I think, I think that's, that's where it's from. And we have the trainer give the athletes from young age, like where we're talking about before, the freedom uh, to say, okay, now I think it's, I think it's enough. I'm, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling sick. I take one step back because there is something. And I think if you bring that uh, experience or that philosophy uh, with you, I think I think that helps. But it's a lot. It's a lot of training. So if you look before when I was uh, uh, when I was riding before, normally you can see Norwegians they were really strong from the start of the year and they kind of died. But I think the reason why they were so strong at the beginning of the year was because we trained very well at home and then we came into the system with a lot of races. You had a lot less time to train, this specific training, and then you kind of, the form, of course, didn't die, but it went slowly down. So I, that's the best explanation I have. So then you would think it makes sense to have somewhere in the middle of the year a little break to do some training to bring the form back up again to the old level it was before have less races but prepare them better yeah i think so you know when, when i uh, uh, of course now i know it's changed a lot but when i raced uh, i had four weeks at least after the season with no training and then i started building up uh, and then I did, you know, my block, the, 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 all the spring classics and stuff. I did Pre-Roubaix. And then I had one week with no training. And then I built up the form again until, uh, you know, all the races in May, June. And, and another peak in, uh, in July in, for Tour de France. After Tour de France, I tried to do almost one week with no training to have another peak uh, in the end of the season and especially for the world championship for me that was the only only uh, chance to have like kind of three peaks in one in, in one uh, in one year and I, I had i had no i was not afraid to take seven days off the bike complete off no no problem I remember after the tour de france you you sent us pictures back in the day of out, out water skiing behind a boat and we were just like <laughs> you know, worried about doing criteriums and keeping the form. And there you were like just water skiing. You remember that, Yenzi? <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> I You're do. so jealous. Of course. You're so jealous. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, but I believe Fabian Cancellara had a quite similar program, like building up for the classics, Roubaix and so on, then completely off the bike, take his mind off, take his body off the bike, come back for the Tour de France and then one more time for whatever Olympics or World Championships. Yeah, I think it was something similar, the same idea, I believe, he had. Yeah. Recovery is everything. I wish we would have paid a little bit more attention to that. Uh, and I'm talking to myself, <laughs> most importantly, because when I go back, because I have those same training diaries, um, 
I add up the number of races and it was very common to do over a hundred races in a year, like from credit agricole to mm -hmm. team telecom. I mean, it was only with CSC that we started doing less races, but we were basically doing more training camps, which were harder than the races anyway, but, um, totally, totally different aspect. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to outside plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. And now back to our chat with Tor. Tor, you know, you, you are known as the best Norwegian cyclist of all time. You've won grand stage, grand tour stages in, in the, all of them. Uh, you won the points classification. Uh, you won under 23 world championship, you know, professional world championship stages in the biggest races everywhere, podium in the classics, but what result stands out? What result do, are you the most proud of? I mean, you had 66 wins in your career, yellow jersey, leader jersey in, in, multi, in many, many races. But now that you're done and been able to step away from um, the sport a little bit, which, which one stands out? Because I have one, but I, I'm just curious to see if, if that's the same that, that you choose. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, this question is quite easy for me. It's the World Championship. Uh, that was uh, that was number one. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't I didn't follow cycling that much. Uh, of course, I followed Agato, but I was more into skiing. Alberto Tomba, you know, Alpine ski. He was my big one of my biggest idols. But I had one uh, picture on the wall. That was uh, Giuseppe Saone with with a World Champion. Uh, uh, jersey. So for me, that was just a symbol. So when I could put on this jersey every day when I did my training ride or my or bike race, I looked down on these rainbow stripes and I felt it was unreal. That was a, a wrestle from uh, a win for me, which was just unreal. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, number one. I would have one where we all three are involved. Um, the Tour de France time trial 2001, we had Stuart O'Grady in the yellow jersey and the team with us. And we, us three, yeah. we were there and we did beat some big teams. We did beat Onse back in the days, US Postal, Telecom. We took that win in the rain, I remember. It was so good. Us five, uh, we were just uh, swapping off there in the front. Uh, Jonathan Warder, Stuart O'Grady and us three. Yeah. I believe that is... Still, at least podium for my best days on a bike. That's always in the top three for me. That moment, it was just everything just fell perfectly in line for us, and it just 
it was just one of the best days ever on the bike. Yeah, I'm 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 agree, Jens. I, I actually was thinking to to mention it earlier when we when we talked, and actually when we just uh, when we just uh, was chatting a bit before <laughs> before this uh, podcast, uh, because that's a very strong uh, memory, and and uh, that was uh, my first Tour de France. So I was like, when I came to the tour, I was like, wow, everything is so huge and big and journalists and spectators and then i could win this team tom tom with your guys that was just insane so uh i have uh, very good memories uh, from that and, and like you said beating these these teams and we were just flying there was a day when everything uh just worked out 100 mm-hmm. percent uh i'll definitely never forget that, that and you, you even, know you you even punctured didn't you bobby yeah 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 no not mm-hmm. many people know that but um I punctured and you guys waited for me right on yeah. the only hill on the second part of the course. And Stuart was yeah. on the front and he didn't know that I punctured. So I think it's Jonathan and you guys are yelling at him, slow up, slow up, slow up. And I remember Stuart told us this story afterwards. He was like, man, I'm barely pedaling, man. I must just be killing these guys. <laughs> and then when I caught up, we just hit the turbos and we almost dropped him because he was like, went from being like, oh my God, I'm so strong. They're telling me to slow down to basically, holy cow, now we're going 20K an hour faster. Um, but that, but that you, was, you came, yeah, you came back so quickly. That was a very, mm-hmm. very quick <laughs> change from yeah. a puncture. It took only a few seconds before we were back in the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our team, uh, you know, that's one thing I have to give Roger Leger credit for was we were dialed for that race, Um, especially the foreigners. We knew what we could do. And we were, you know, even with a little bit of bad luck, we it didn't throw us off our game. And we were able to not only win, but then to um, defend Stewart's yellow jersey, which is definitely um, you guys went on to win multiple Tour de France stages. That was the only Tour de France stage that I won. And I never won an individual one. But my my. (laughs) My memory is, um, yeah, after I was retired, when you won the prologue by one one hundredth of a second over my neighbor and friend, George Hincapie. And then mm. I think it was the next day you got cut by that PMU little hand. And like all of a sudden you're on the side of the road, like bleeding. And I'm like, what happened? Like you see your friend bleeding on the side of the road, like... It was such a weird turn of events and like, you know, I'm thinking you're out of the race, you know, out of the yellow jersey, you know, this is going to suck. And then what was it on the third stage? You wound up taking the yellow jersey back, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was, for, first, that, uh, that the prologue win, that was uh, that's also uh, really up there for, for my wins because when I look when I look back and watch Tour de France as a, as a, as a kid, uh, I always saw these big names winning this uh, this prologue, and it was always these Tour de France uh, GC winners or whatever. So suddenly, I I won it, and uh, yeah, it changed quite fast when this uh, PMU hand, or I think actually it was a camera. I I don't think it was it was the the PMU uh, hand. I think it was someone out with a camera because it hit my my uh, my uh, arm. And you could see kind of a round cut. So I think it was from the, from the uh, lens from the camera, but whatever. And it was, it was bleeding a lot because it hit one of the, the veins. So I just saw the blood pump, like pro- literally pumping out. So I, I just said I, I had to lay down and I lost, a, I, I lost uh, a lot of blood. 
So I, I, I'm, I, sometimes I'm joking, back on these days, somebody took blood and I lost blood. So imagine I was tired a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. And, you know, now that we're all laughing about it, you know, who else has a scar? I mean, I was there when he stitched you together. You know who else has a scar right there? No. John Rambo. <laughs> you and John Rambo, <laughs> you are brothers, my friend. You both have the scar on your right arm. You both got them stitched together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you are a little Rambo. Classic. <laughs> classic. So so yeah, let's move on. Where what's going on with you now? I mean, you look our, our listeners won't be able to see you, but you look fit as ever. I mean, you look like a tour. Um what, what's <laughs> what are you doing to stay fit and um stay busy around the around the house? Uh stay fit. I like to do some training, you know, like uh I I um If I gain weight, I take my, my two fingers, you know, like to measure how much fat I have around my, my belly. And I said, ah, this is too much. And I'm starving for a few days, <laughs> but that's just how <laughs> the way I do it. Uh, no, so I, I, uh, I don't ride a bike much, but I like to go for a run. Uh, I play a lot of pedal tennis, uh, which is my new hobby. It's my new thing. I just love it. And it's also one of my new investments, uh, I'm building up a, a pedal a tennis chain in Norway with a, a lot of centers. Uh, we have uh, we have a small group there with uh, almost 10 centers uh, coming up now. And uh, I just do different things and I'm busy and uh, have still time to see my family. And, uh, and sometimes my wife tells me that I also have another hobby and that's the boys trips. So I do a lot of <laughs> different trips around the, the world. Hey, um, for our followers, they don't know what it is. What exactly is pedal tennis? Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Jens. It's, it's quite, a, it's, a, it's a new sport to many countries, but it's, uh, I would say it's, uh, it's between tennis and squash. So it's kind of in a, uh, how do you say, not a box, but you know, you, you, You have uh, walls and back walls you can and you can use them uh, same as in squash uh, but you have a net in the in the middle and you play two against two uh, so uh, it's it's a lot it's a lot of fun and when you of course as better you get it's a it's a lot of uh, uh, it's, it's hard hard workouts but it's, so i believe it's short and intense yeah very short and intense and and you play with kind of like a beach uh, racket so which is much easier to hit the ball so it's it's much easier to uh to play than let's say tennis so that's why it becomes popular because most people this they, they go there once and they play for one hour and then wow actually i can i can manage to do this uh, so we see it's it's a growing sport in in it's actually saying it's the most growing sport in the world at the moment And it's bigger, there's more people playing pedal tennis than soccer in Spain. By any chance, would yeah. it be known as pickleball over here in the U.S.? Because what you're explaining sounds similar to pickleball, but I don't think they have the walls that you can play off the back walls. Yeah, but, but I, I've seen pickleball, and I know it's very popular in the States, but it's like you said, it's more or less the same. It's like a mini tennis court. But in paddle, you have uh, you have the side walls and the back walls, so you can hit the ball hard, and it bounces back from the ground in the uh, in the let's say the back wall, 
and then it goes back towards the net. So you kind of you do a lot of running. So when when I when I play uh, one and a half hour with uh, some good players, I'm totally uh, yeah. My you can, I can my teacher is completely wet of. <laughs> so it's it's a very good training. Well, I think you're going to have to ask Susanna to um, get a hall pass for another boys trip, so Jens and I can come up to your new facility and learn learn paddle tennis. What do you say, Jensy? I'm in. Yep, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, and and okay, so. I'm agree. We can do that, but it would it would be nice to go for a ride with you guys. A couple of days riding the bike again. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh. <laughs> hot attack! Yes, hot yes. attack! I'm in. Yes. Yen, Yen seems to have uh, developed some sort of allergy to bicycles. You yeah. know, like so. He... The, a, a what uh, to to measure the watts? That's forbidden. Damn it. Yeah, yeah. You that's have to good. Take it off I love you, Tua. Yeah, yeah. So we just go at <laughs> a steady speed. We can talk, and uh, we need a good stop with a coffee or maybe something else. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Yep. That's right down my alley. Hey, Tua. Just before we let you go, I'm gonna put you on a line. If you remember what happened, 24 of October 2004, I give you a hint. <laughs> Somebody got you married. Remember? I yes. got married, and I was your best man. Yes. Yes. And you were my best man, exactly, to You passed me the ring, and yeah. I still have it. And we're still happy, six children, and happy married ever after. Yeah, that, that's that's impressive, uh, Jensi, with uh, not with, <laughs> with Stephanie, your wife, but six kids and all the years yeah. professional. Uh, well done to you and Stephanie to yes, helping. she is the legend. Yeah, 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 helping out with the kids when you were racing a bike. Well done to both of you. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I think uh, Jens has probably lost that ring a couple times, and he has like a, a stash of like replacement rings. I, I, I don't, re <laughs> don't don't believe a word. I mean, it sounds like a good idea, but don't believe a word he's saying. You got to have a replacement, man. You got to have it like tucked away. You never know. You never know. You never know. But wow, Tor, thank you so much for, for coming on with us. It was just great to catch up with you. It's been been too long. And uh, it's just great to hear that everything's going good. I mean, you just cast such a positive vibe over the the team. I don't think there's anybody that could say anything negative about you. You you were a great teammate, a great friend, fun to be around. You know, the, the fancy cars was just kind of a bonus, um, you know, <laughs> hanging out with a guy that had the fancy cars. But, you know, great to see you again. Thanks for coming on our show. And yeah, man, let's hit up the uh, the old paddle tennis and and... And, and bike ride sometimes. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Tor for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends. The show was a Valley News production in association with Chocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Moser. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor Zwift. One of the most fun parts about cycling is climbing. So why not try Garrett Thomas's athlete workout, Fun is Flying Uphill. A great pillar of any climber is muscular endurance, and believe me when I say, that's what you'll get. 
Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my friends the fitness I built at home. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.